This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. So why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, yourself and your organization and and, uh, we'll go from there. Sure. So I'm... um live in Denver, probably 25 years into the world of technology, you know, myself, my, my early mm-hmm. days were um, in uh, the world of, of IT and healthcare, um, spent some probably five years or so at the Mayo Clinic um, back in the, the early 90s, uh, helping mm-hmm. them with a, a various various things. Uh, moved to Colorado in the, in the mid 90s and um, embarrassed to say that my first startup here was a electronic bill presentation and payment um, software company, which you think about the fact that we've only been able to get our, our bills online for the last 20 years seems kind of crazy, yeah. but um, <laughs> I guess that is the Innovation travels in different speeds and different places and different industries. Yeah. I mean, because it feels like it's one of those things you've had forever, right? You, what do you mean I can't yeah. get my bill online? Um, yeah. But back then it was really hard because you were, you know, your call detail records and your cell phone bill and your your uh, long distance bills were were complicated uh, uh, documents with different tax charges and interlata, this, that, and the other thing. So it's kind of like yeah. the Amazon bill today. So like if you look at an mm-hmm. Amazon bill today and your old long distance bill from the 80s, it kind of has some similarities. Um, exactly. So, uh, and, and then, then, still and then think, um, I still find it funny that we're still using that that construct of you know a, an, yes. a, a monthly yeah. invoice after all this time and right. all the technology that's happening. People still need that monthly construct. You know, monthly monthly construct. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly yeah. right. Um, it's funny. Just as an aside, I I ran a bulletin board system back in in my um, in my early days, and my mom would always wonder why I got phone bills that were like that that big um and i think i tried to explain to her once but it it never really went anywhere and she was really good because i'd call her up and so i would say hey you know node number three needs to get rebooted so she'd walk down to the basement and try to figure out where node three was and go you know hit the power and power back on but yeah never could understand why i got got phone bills that were like that um i used to run a bbs uh, too back in toronto what software were you running on Gosh, you know, uh, man, it has been a while. I want to say, I think I feel like I tried them all because it was back then where you're trying to do 386 virtualization and like yep. desk view or, or something like that. And then I switched over to Linux and was primarily running on, on Linux for a while. I actually wrote a UART, um, uh, a UART code for a, a multi-port serial uh, uh, card that didn't exist back in the wow. day. Um, Fantastic. Oh, I remember those days. I, I had a two line uh, BBS running on, uh, first I was on Wildcat and then it was running on PC board for a while. I think I, but, PC board out of Salt Lake was one on Salt Lake yeah. City. Yeah. I think, I think I probably used both of those too. Um, yep. Yeah. That's crazy. That's fun. It was fun. It was a fun time. I mean, I never had more than, you know, a hundred users, but it was, it was amazing to think back then that you could actually do mail relay and it could take, you know, a, a couple hours to go move an email from one side of the U.S. to the other. But eventually, it, it worked, and it worked pretty reliably. Oh yeah. Um, you know, now now we do it instantaneously. But yeah. Um, then I went to work for Sun. Um, Sun Microsystems. Spent twelve years there. Was a distinguished engineer there. Um, worked a lot with labs, mostly on, you know, security technology related to to network systems and, and actually, you know, my funnest time there was probably spent um, kind of two, three years on distributed computing and, um, you know, trying to take 
biology and and use the concepts of of um, homeostasis and you know the the way systems work from a biological perspective and try to translate it back to to technology and use it to mm-hmm. better you know create systems that were more survivable more you know maybe less precise in some ways but more ultimately more accurate because they could they could deal with some of the nuances and changes and and things like that um and ultimately that became some of the technology that we we used for our containers which were called zones um zones back then um and then uh, and then oracle bought us and i said you know that was time to probably move on um because Sun and Oracle. Yeah, I hear working at Oracle is not a picnic. You know, it was it was really weird because I I I was sort of in an engineering role and got put under marketing, and they said, you know, don't go talk to customers. And there was like this one line in the spreadsheet that our boss really cared about, which was some you know solution guide deliverable, and and didn't want us doing anything else. So I'm like, uh, I I got out of there as fast as I could. I think I got actually one paycheck from Oracle, um, maybe two, but. Um, and then went to VMware at VMware ran, um, and this was sort of the early days of, of cloud. So some of the other stuff I worked on at Sun was, was N1, which was sort of our view of, of um, autonomous computing or, or ubiquitous computing or whatever it might be. And then went to VMware, um, ran a, a software engineering unit there that was focused on the service providers um, and getting them kind of up and running on cloud technology to offer back to their customers. And then eventually came to BioWest, which became Flexential. So, um, I've been here for the last, you know, 10 years, ran the cloud line of business for, um, via West. And then, um, and then at Flexential, I'm, I'm sort of a, you know, I get to spend my days thinking about, you know, what's next and, um, you know, doing things like this and, and spend my time on product strategy, um, a bit and, um, run our customer advisory council. So spend, you know, a fair amount of time with our customers and, trying to figure out where they're going and um, making sure that our solutions are lined up, you know, kind of to meet their needs and, and sort of maybe about Flexential and I'll, I'll just push this up here just because it's kind of interesting. Um, we are a data center operator, um, you know, and, and this is roughly our, our footprint. Um, so we, we happen to be in, in a lot of these tier, we used to have, I think Calgary's still up there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we, were, we, are, we were actually owned by, Via West was bought by Shaw communications hey i used um, to work for shaw back. believe it or not <laughs> in in it or in where what part i worked uh i i ran their um eastern region internet service prior to it being uh well actually i used to work for a company called cuc which was bought up by shaw and then um i moved okay. from the regular cable side it IT side of things into their new internet service division, which they first started doing with at home, and then um, built their okay. built their own okay. stuff. So I ran the, uh, all of all of Ontario when they had Ontario. This prior to this, did uh, Rogers and Rogers and Shaw swapped some properties, right? So Shaw's like monolithic in, in on the, east, the west coast. No. But I remember yeah, visiting I they, offices think, in Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's funny when I was at Sun, I was actually doing a lot of the at home stuff so i i was up in calgary probably for two years kind of back and forth um when i was at sun uh so yeah uh that's that's funny it's it is a small world did you work for was dennis steiger still there maybe as the does that name sound familiar the name sounds sounds really familiar i remember the whole crowd and i remember it was really funny because it's almost like you know how sometimes uh, they pick senior leadership based on the skills they have it's like if a boss is like a lawyer they like to pick lawyers to work with them well they're all musicians right so they all had some instrument that they played right and they had they actually had a band that they played the christmas party it's like all the senior leadership would get up on stage and and i'm like I'm, i'm looking at them and i'm going like are you are you not allowed to become a leader at this company unless you play some kind of instrument and what if you suck yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I mean, a great, great company, and it's funny because nobody ever leaves there. So I'm, I'm, you're like one of the the first persons I've talked to that actually don't, you know, that have worked there and aren't still there. So yeah, um, yeah. Oh no, everyone loves it there. It's great. Um, but uh, yeah. So I mean, Flexential, we're we're a data center operator. We build um, these sort of beautiful looking um, 
you know, our data centers really are our product. This is the, the new Hillsboro three, um, if you can see that. Nice. Um, so, you know, I would say about a quarter of our footprint are these gen four tier four facilities that have a mezzanine and are really, you know, showcases. You can kind of walk in, you've got a boardroom or sets of boardrooms and you can see all the equipment and they're huge. Like mm -hmm. This one behind me is 200,000 square feet, um, 36 megawatts. Nice. But we're, we're, you know, we're kind of in the retail business. So it's not, you know, why we want to go after the hyperscalers. We're, we're more about, you know, the, the banks, the um, CDN platforms, the, the social media, you know, companies, the large ERP platforms. I mean, that's kind of our our bread and butter, you know, while we have some workloads from the hyperscalers like Microsoft and, and people like that, it isn't what we're primarily going for. Um, what we really think is our value prop is, is sort of creating the, you know, the network and, and providing the connectivity between these locations. So that, that network mm -hmm. you see back there is, is actually not just representative, it's, it's, it does exist. So when you're in one of our locations, you have access to all of them, and then you have access to cloud connectivity, and and now access to really over there, I guess, to, to you know some of the fastest connectivity into Asia and, and Australia, New Zealand, um, and in fact, we're working right now on a on a cable landing um, that will be the fastest connection into India from the U.S. Um, and so about fantastic, we need that right. So faster uh, is better. Faster is better, and fifty percent <laughs> of the internet traffic is now. Um, you know, in, in Asia. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's so important to have great connectivity there. Um, and then, um, and then recently we just announced, um, oh, I should mention, we run, we run our cloud and, and managed services platform on about half of half of the footprint. So um, most of the regions we have um, cloud and disaster recovery services. And most of that is for, I would say mid-market enterprise, um, you know, that don't want to, you know, they might have a DBA, but they don't want 10. So they've got a really smart DBA. And then we augment their DBA staff with 24 by seven. Um, we do a fair amount of security and compliance right. consulting as well. Um, we're PCI QSAs. Um, so we can declare compensating controls for the credit card industry or, you know, high trust um, CF, CSFs. Um, do a lot of NIST, you know, NIST 800, ISMS, ISO, um, what else can I tell you? 4,000 customers, you know, pretty all over the place. No, no big segments, you know, other than the usual suspects like healthcare is big, financial services, you know, technology. Um, right. So you don't actually go for the small guys. Like you're not at the AWS level. Like if I had a startup and I wanted to put my stuff on your, that's, that's typically not what you do. You're more of a like yeah, you said, I mean, new I market provider. We're, we're on the, you know, mid, mid enterprise to above. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. so we don't, we don't, you know, startups probably aren't, we do have a lot of startups that use our security consulting services, but that's more to help them with, you know, penetration testing or, or IOT testing. Actually, that's been, you know, we've disassembled robots right. and reassembled them and have started to look at like circuitry and things like that on, on, um, IOT, you know, exploits and things like that. But, um, that's kind of a very specialized, yeah. that was actually a group we, we bought in Boulder uh, in 2015, um, called applied trust. So they actually, they wrote the book on, I don't know if you remember the Linux administration handbook, um, that we've all had probably at one point in time, they actually were some of the authors of that. Um, and then had a security practice that sort of sat on top of that. And now they've morphed, they do manage, you know, Kubernetes on top of Amazon and things like that, um, that don't necessarily live within our footprints, but help our customers really reach into the world of hybrid and, and really look at hybrid IT. Right. Right. So I, I have a, a number of financial services customers and they're always really leery of cloud still, even after what, how many years are we, 20 years, more than 20 years now that, yeah. you know, companies are moving they're still leery of it. You know, how, how do you, how do you help convince them that this is the way to go? Because I, you know, I believe it's the way to go, but how do you help convince them that it's the way to go? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, the, the question of, of, you know, I, I still think from the survey data that I read and talking with our customers, um, you know, the, the top two reasons that people aren't either on the cloud or, or have, have moved some of their workloads off, like, we, you know, we call it the boomerang effect where they've kind mm -hmm. of gone to it somewhat maybe more wholesale and then they've come back. Um, 
you know, it's it's security and compliance are are one of the biggest ones, and the cost you know concerns being the the other the other one. Um, you know, the 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 fact at the end of the day isn't that the cloud isn't any you know less secure or more secure than anything else, right? It's it. I think you know four or five years ago it was probably a question of of expertise. Um, you know, did you have the right resources to be able to, um, you know. Con configure and, and run your environment properly, but that's that's just a maturity you know issue at the end of the day. So there's nothing inherently you know less or more secure. I think I think there is a bit of a auditability factor. Um, it's very easy to send an auditor into one of our facilities, um, and we can we can change our um, processes and procedures based on who that customer is. Versus on the hyperscalers, you kind of get what you get, mm -hmm. which I think. Ultimately, you know, is a little bit of like you can't go send an auditor to an Amazon facility, right? You've got to be happy with their audit reports. So I think, I think it's just a maturity cycle. But you know, if anything, over the last you know seven eight months of the of the pandemic, um, you know, cloud resources are a huge enabler to be able to grow your services and scale them. You know, you look at Zoom and the success that Zoom has had. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they couldn't have done that if they were just, you know, buying equipment and, and installing and it just wouldn't have worked for them. So. Oh yeah. Well, I, I, that's yeah. exactly what I said. When I first, I, my first startup was uh, probably about 10, 15 years ago. And that was, you know, we went straight to Heroku, you know, we were thinking, Oh, what are we going to do? Uh, uh, right. create buy servers, do this, do that. No, let's like the infrastructure is there. Just slap down your credit card and boom, you're done. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, and yeah. we need we need yeah. more cycle. Just you just you know, push it up, push it down. I mean, it costs you, but yeah. it's so yeah. simple, and you know you don't have to work yeah. go through all these contortions. So I mean, the startup nowadays yeah. would ha like it makes no sense to do it any other way. I I yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think um, you know there becomes a point, and we probably have looked at this in like a twenty year, you know, twenty twenty year life cycle of a of a company, perhaps. And I think that first you know, two, three, four years where you're really more experimenting. You've got a lot of VC money that might be coming in. You've got you know, investors, you know, the bottom line is, 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 is negative, right? So you don't, you know, care as much about profitability. Um, ultimately that changes at some point, right? There becomes a, a point in time where you either got to scale, you got to scale differently. You're worried about EBITDA. Um, you know, you might be worried about, uh, uh, I've got, you know, capital versus OPEX, um, all these different things then come into play once you've become big enough to generate, you know, your own revenue and almost standalone, you know, set of services. And that's, and that's where a provider like us can kind of come in and say, Hey, we can, we can help you. And, and Joe Weinman did a great book, you know, called cloudonomics that talks about this, you know, where there's, there's a set of services that you run every single day, you know, how much capacity you need. We probably can optimize the cost structure on that. Um, and then there's a set of services that are dynamic, you know, stochastic that are seasonal or yeah. demand-based when, and those make sense in the cloud. The key is being able to link that together in some hybrid model and, and make it work together, which is, I think, frankly, what most companies would, would probably prefer because it is hard to be CFO friendly sometimes in the, in the hyperscalers when you do get those bills that are so complicated that, that like, mm -hmm. People don't even know what, like, I've seen conversations where the CFO and the, the head of development are in a room and they're like, well, I don't know what these things are. Like, I don't know what to turn off because I don't know what's production versus what's not. So, I mean, the fact that you can just swipe a credit card and keep adding resource, it's like my Kindle library. I, I probably yeah. order 50 Kindle books a year and I read five. It's the same thing that happens on the cloud. It's so easy to do. Um, yeah. It's hard to turn off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and then, I mean, I guess at some point cost does become a factor, right? Because originally it's like, this is so simple, just get it up and running. Get up and running. But then at a certain point, when you have a certain throughput, uh, level of throughput, then that's when it's like, oh, whoa, hold, hold on a second. You know, should we be doing this? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. So um, you've got, you've got a lot of horsepower where, where you, where you are and, you know, all we're really doing really is sort of physically transferring the horsepower from these individual companies to one location. And you guys are managing it and providing better controls. I mean, the thing is the horsepower is now going everywhere. And you were in, you did the distributed computing stuff. So you understand, I mean, I mean, I've got more horsepower on my phone than, you know, we had like five years ago on in my desktop. So 
where where is that going? Do you see that's going? Are we going to see some truly distributed computing at some point, or are we still going to see, you know, cloud for a really long time? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's it's going to be a mix of all of the above. Um, you know, there there, you know, are are reasons to have big you know big monolithic um, platforms to go store your long term you know data lake and and you know things that you may 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 need someday or not need you know someday right and i think increasingly people don't want to throw away data because you're really just uh, you know as you turn that corner you might need access to that data again because you've got some new machine learning algorithm that needs that data right um or you're in healthcare yeah. and you're you're regulated to keep you know your patient data you know for seven years beyond the death of the patient well you don't know when the person died. So you end up keeping it, you know, for that's right. kind of forever. So, I mean, I think, you know, there, there is mm -hmm. that. And I think, you know, that makes total sense to have big, cheap, deep, um, you know, storage that's, that's on, on a network somewhere. Um, I think then there's, there's the, the more real time workloads that are, are really just in the beginning of, of, um, of, of, of its, you know, maturity cycle and, and people kind of getting their heads around what is the art of the possible um, there. And then you've got everything that's in between, right? So um, I, I kind of think of it as the new three-tier, new three-tier architecture. I think ultimately when we get to, you know, to 5G and where you have a gigabit or, you know, 500 meg or whatever it might be to your, your cell phone and, and to all the technology that you have, I mean, really then bandwidth becomes so easy to, to get and, and you're not really constrained by, by it anymore means that if we're already generating two times the content we generated last year and <laughs> when does that then exponentially evolve to something even greater and, and to solve for that because we're not solving for speed of light you've got to go distribute the processing there's no other way around it and I think that's what what edge computing ultimately does is goes and allows you to go create distributed architectures that we're in again the infancy of like I think blockchain is a great technology to go drive, you know, distributed computing and distributed contracts because ultimately you need a fraction of a resource for a period of time. What better way to go manage that than something like, you know, a blockchain ledger. Um, so I think ultimately this, we're, we cycle around, like we created the mainframe and then we went to cloud, we created the internet, which was very distributed. Um, and then we created a control structure around it with, with, uh, you know, our vendors and our you know, IANA and things like that. And then it's gone to, I mean, it's, so I think ultimately all this stuff cycles, but it's all going to exist together in, you know, in the same universe, right? So we'll have to figure out how to make it all, all work together. And I think, um, you know, I like to think of edge. I mentioned I was, you know, did some, you know, Sun Labs work, you know, we were always trying to figure out how to go take chip architectures and figure out what we could do on the front end versus the back end. And, I think of edge computing almost like the FPGA, right? It's it's you can go create very specific functions to go sort your data and make some real time decisions, but ultimately make fast decisions on where to go put that in the future. And I think that's frankly what edge computing will will enable us to do. And again, we're just at the beginning of it. I, I was just uh, driving down the road about a month ago um, past the University of Denver and and. Um, Kind of almost drove off the road and uh because I, I saw this what looked like a, a cooler like think of your of your you know standard sort of drink cooler um rolling down the sidewalk with wheels and a face on it um yeah i, I did some research <laughs> on it and it's a company called KiwiBot, and um they partnered with sodexo which i think must run the cafeteria on the university of denver campus and so this and yeah. I, I called KiwiBot and said, hey, what is this? And they said, well, like we've got at any point in time, we have 12 to 20 of these roaming around on campus. And it's a completely contactless food delivery service that's running around on campus going from the cafeteria to the dorms. And, um, you know, such a great yeah. use case. But, you know, what else could we be doing that we could, you know, Cities in London, China, you know, are doing that to go move blood supply around, you know, move uh, medicine around, you know, drones, you know, could. So I, I think we're just at the beginning of, of this and it's really going to take more real time communication um, and higher bandwidth communication and video and all this type of stuff to make this really a reality. But it's, it's like we're so close to it. It's like really just right there. 
Yeah, because you're right. I mean, it really is the pipe, right? Because if you think about autonomous vehicles, and uh, we have something like that here. It's called Starship. They have it all, all around downtown Mountain View. So there's just these, like you said, coolers on wheels, like ro- rolling around. But then uh, if you think about these autonomous vehicles, you know, they're not going to be online all the time. They're not going to have, they're not be connected to the pipe. They might yeah. go into like a blind spot or whatever. And they're going to need to know, they're going to need to be able to make a decision, a split second decision and they won't be connected to some cloud, which will help, which is going to help them with that decision. So they need to have that on board somehow, right? Which is why they have. I mean, each of them have you know two or three different you know GPUs, um, you know video. You know, I think there is an interesting. Um, you know, Tesla has done its technology stack that doesn't include lidar. Um, most other people use lidar. Lidar is a great way to go do like millimeter you know type depth um, data. I mean, I think. I think they're all, you know, looking at different things, but you're, you're exactly right. The network is there to provide a, a bunch of, of mid to long-term data, you know, i.e. how do you go avoid that car crash that's two miles up the road and reroute intelligently around it? Um, or how do you update the firmware on the, on the platform, which is as important as anything these days, but you're right. There's no way that that car, and it's sort of the funny thing, like over the course of the last you know, four or five years, as we've talked about 5G, is it is the autonomous vehicle use case that everybody talks about. And I'm like, if if my car has to utilize the network based on how felt how my cell phone works, I'm I'm not sure that that's the car I want to be in. Um, but thankfully, companies like Nvidia and Tesla and others have figured out how to get around that. Yeah, it's kind of like when I heard about the Apple Car. I'm like, I don't know if I want to buy an Apple Car. Is it going to be as as uh, you know, <laughs> as good as my my iPhone. I mean, when I have when I have to reboot it every every now and then and and load new software and things like that. I'm not sure if I want to drive a car and then all of a right. sudden it's like loading. Please wait. It pulls over to the side of the road. So right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little scary. That's like yeah. suboptimal. I think there's a story. There's a story. Was it Slade or or one of the lock manufacturers that you know that have some of the smart lock technology that sent out a firmware update, um, you know, over, and it was probably about a year ago, but they ended up bricking about 50 door locks. So whatever, oh, whatever the door, if the door was open or the door was closed, it no longer, you could no longer open it up. Um, oh man. And then you've got all the oh. 737 max stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think we're still early days and maybe figuring out how all this stuff works in some way. But. Oh yeah. I mean, think about uh, smart homes, right? I mean, uh, you know, you have Alexa, you have all these different devices and a lot of times you get into a situation where you can't control it unless you've got the device available. And if your network's down, you, you're out of luck, right? You have to, there's like manual controls yeah. on everything that you have to keep going. For yep. Time, so. yep. yep. For sure. For sure. Man. So, find that little so um, go ahead. Trying to find that little reset knob that's hidden away somewhere and hope it does. Yeah, the job. exactly. Exactly. Well, my, my Alexa smart plugs just like probably about once a month or so just completely blow, like lose their minds and I have to reinstall them again. So it's like from a technology perspective, they should be so easy that you just plug them in and they work. But, you know, nothing's that yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of the old X10 devices that. Uh, oh remember, yeah, I remember those. They ran yeah. off the electrical wires, and they would go crazy when your washing machine would would you know start going because it would create so much jitter on the network that it just you know they all your lights went on and off and yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, it's gone from being like a, a hobbyist thing to becoming like a semi-hobbyist thing, even though it seems to be really accessible to the regular person. Right. Regular people can't really configure these things. Right. If you're a technologist, you know how to make them work and you know how to make them like work okay. Right. But if you're just like a, a regular person, you know, if they stop working, you're you're a lot. Well, yeah, and don't and don't call me because I don't know anything about. I mean, it's like that. Like, you know, now becoming a computer support guy to all your friends, like I have no idea. I mean, it's gotten so so diverse in terms of what what is out there. It's like there's no possible way to yeah. use it. Yeah. Exactly. So you you said that you've moved into an area where you're thinking about what's next. So what kind what kind of stuff you were talking about? Like you mentioned in your note, like autonomous computing, AI stuff like that. What what kind of things are you are you looking into? What do you think? What do you think is coming down the pipe? Yeah, I mean we've touched on some of it. I think you know we're we're cycling from you know a a a world where you know we had a bunch of of platforms that were either in our office and now we've kind of moved everything back into you know more centralized cloud infrastructure to kind of going back again where 
you know, because of latency in the network and, and speed of light and all the things we talked about, you, you've got to have processing power, you know, differently maybe than we did before, but, but more closer to, to the actual, you know, end user eyeballs or the platform or the IOT data points or whatever it might be. Um, you know, another thing that, that, you know, resonates with me is just, you know, kind of what we were talking about with autonomous vehicles is the accessibility of artificial intelligence and machine learning. I mean, I remember in my early days in college, you know, learning about neural nets and, you know, you could only get to some, you know, fairly simple level sophistication. You had to have kind of very well-known models and, you know, it wasn't going to really solve any, any problems, you know, versus today where you've got, you know, SDKs like CUDA from NVIDIA and, and you know, TensorFlow and, and just the ability to go put a ton of horsepower against these algorithms that are now increasingly more self-learning, um, I think is, is really a lot of potential to sort through all the data that we're amassing. Um, you know, video is another really interesting area. I think video is kind of the killer app for, for 5G. And I think just the amount of use cases that, that video, you just think about I've always been a big fan of maps um, because it can tell you so much. Like if you really dig into it and it's like, well, what does that little icon mean? And what does this topography mean? And, you know, then you can start to visualize it. And that's the same with, you know, video for computers is that while it took a long time, you know, for, for us to go put together the algorithms to ultimately decide, well, is this a picture of a cat or a dog? Um, we now can, can determine, you know, really almost everything from a video feed you know, given the right technology and the right, you know, set of resources. So I think that's um, super exciting. I think it opens up, you know, it's whether it's public safety, you know, efficiency and transportation. You know, I think last time I read back pre-pandemic, we spent nine days a year commuting, um, you know, just ways to go make our lives better, right? I think, frankly, is, is, a, is a great way to look at this technology. And there's, you know, privacy and, and all that, you know, concerns as well. But you know, the fact that in a manufacturing environment, if you can save, you know, four or five lives by being able to shut down equipment because somebody wasn't wearing the right safety equipment or whatever, um, you know, that's stuff that we can now tell from video and LIDAR. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think those are all super exciting, you know, ways that that can help. And then, frankly, that sort of democratiz democratization of all that technology, you know, feeds into ability to do more efficient, you know, drug research you know, doing, you know, specific, you know, research around a, uh, a disease that maybe only has, you know, a few thousand people rather than a few, few million people, which is where most of the drug companies pivot, and then being able to customize that based on, I mean, again, this is all just, you know, stuff that's right there because of uh, the ability to sort of harness the energy of, of a lot of this, you know, whether it's machine learning, artificial intelligence, the GPUs, the, you know, really the network and how fast we're able to get systems to communicate together today. Yeah, I think the biggest biggest stumbling block is, of course, us, right? It's not technology. It's us being able to say, you know what? I'll listen to the AI when it says, okay, I have to shut the machine down, put my put my hard hat on, right? It's it's more of a, just, just let me bypass that. Let me just bypass the security controls. I want to do my own thing. If we could just sort of sit back and go, you know, these are systems that we're building to help ourselves. It's kind of like, well, I write down a to-do, I do a to-do list because I want to make sure I don't miss anything, right? right. It's, it's, right. it's in the same the same category it's like we're we're allowing ai to help us it's not taking away our jobs yeah. it's it's you know helping us yeah. to get, do our jobs do a jo and i think that's a that's a kind of a mindset change that we all need to have yeah i mean it's 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 uh i've been enjoying the the right stuff series on on disney plus um and and it was sort of the thing that that the early flight engineers, you know, with Apollo and, and how much automation to go put in the cockpit, you know, the, the early days of all that was fully automated flight. Um, but man, the test pilots weren't, weren't, uh, didn't want anything to do with that because ultimately it's what they were good at. Right. And I think you kind of got to get to some level of, yeah. of, um, you know, balance there in terms of, of using the data in the ways that make sense. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, something we've learned with the Boeing, you know, 737 MAX stuff, right, is, is how, how difficult some of these software models can be and, and um, you know, making sure we spend the time understanding it. Yeah, well, I think the big, the big difference is that um, it's just hard for us to let go as humans. To when there's an actual a better solution. I mean, I'm uh, working with a client now who's uh, ro uh, rolling out a revenue management software and the people who set the prices are like, well, this software is going to not do better than me. 
And I'm like, well, you know, this thing is going to, is gathering data from a billion different sources and it's coming out with the absolute perfect price. How are you going to yeah. know? <laughs> well, this is, I got to know. Yeah. I'll, I'll know. I'll know. And it's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. Eventually it will do better than you. I mean, yeah, just look yeah, at, you know, yeah. chess, go, other things. You know, just, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're just going to, if you just let it do better. And I think that's the, that's kind of like the thing. And you've probably seen this a lot when it comes to innovation. It's kind of like, you know, these the systems come out and we're constantly fighting them, even though they're doing better than us, we're constantly fighting them because we think we don't think they're going to do as well. And then, you know, if we just let them do their thing, then they might surprise us. Yes, absolutely. Yep. It's, so it's you're a, talking about change uh, in the human condition. Yeah. yeah good luck. Right. <laughs> Right. So you said you mentioned something earlier about um, eliminating commuting, and I know that uh, I did a, I did a study for one of my clients just a little while ago talking about um, you know the results of working from home, working from anywhere, and how it, it's sort of much better than anything, and it, it required a crisis like this for us to actually do it, even though we had the technology. I mean, are you finding that as well, or is it is there? Uh, do you have other aspects you want to discuss? Um, you know, I think I think. I mean, we have one customer, um, you know, that I've, I've maybe spoken about before on some other channels that, that, um, you know, is in the healthcare business and they've, they transformed kind of their telehealth, you know, platform from 50 to 60 visits a month to, you know, over 4,000 over the course of, of uh, a month or two. And we've got another customer who's CEO and they're based here in Denver said, gosh, I got to actually see all my patients today. Cause I didn't have to go try to find parking or, the bus wasn't late or, or whatever. I, I do think about um, there is a level of efficiency in, in all of this that I think is, is um, something that will in, endure. Um, I, I do think um, maybe as, as, we, as we progress, you know, technology in this space, thinking more about augmented reality, you know, virtual reality, you know, maybe as a little bit of a replacement to, to this, because um, I still think I, I feel like there's a there's a depth element that's still missing fundamentally from these experiences that you just don't quite get when you're in the same room with somebody. You can't see the the body language quite as well. You can't see somebody sort of shifting in their chair. You can't see when somebody's like, frankly, just exasperated because they've been on Zoom calls too much. I mean, just all that. And we had a customer that that brought this up in our advisory council um, a few weeks back, and he's like, "We're kind of acquiring a fair amount of social debt um, here, you know, as as we've kind of gone through this of not seeing, you know, people outside of our pod for a period of time, and you know, what ultimately does that does that mean?" So I, I'm kind of mixed on it. I think it's great. I've always had a global team, you know, generally in, in my in my world, so I've always been working from anywhere and travel a lot, and you know place is really just a, wherever my laptop bag has been. Um, yeah. But I do miss the, the, you know, getting together on a whiteboard, um, you know, maybe having a social, you know, opportunity. I think those are the things that really seem to be missing during this period. But I think for the most part, it's been amazing how, you know, productive, I think most companies have, have been able to, to, to stay during, you know, this time and pretty adaptable to be able to, to do it. But um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I know for me, I'm, I'm a little bit, my family would like for me to get back on an airplane soon and stop harassing them. So, yeah. <laughs> I know the feeling, <laughs> but it's like, are you finding that, uh, your business is going through the roof now because, because of what's happening or is it, is it steady, still steady state or. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, the industry still, it's, it's, it's a resource consumption thing. So, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, because of this, because of the acceleration, because of e-commerce, because of online, everything, it's, it's really, it um, has been a, an accelerant to, to, you know, the data center world. Um, you know, I'd say mm -hmm. the only, you know, they're, they're, the only downside is it's a little bit hard for some people to get their projects done because they haven't been able to get people into the right place at the right time. Um, and so we've been, you know, spending a lot more time kind of trying to help them, but, you know, we've also had our own you know, restrictions with, with depending on what region we're in, um, whether people can, you know, we can really amass that many people. So there definitely is that. I think it's, it's sort of what 
anybody in the 5G world would say, look, we kind of hit this this period where you know some of the 5G rollout you know took a fairly major pause, you know, and then it's kind of accelerating back. But it is still very difficult to get groups of people together to to go get work done. Um, so I do think it's slowed down a little bit, but you know, digital consumption is here to stay, which is a good accelerant to our business for sure. Mm-hmm. So you were talking a bit about 5G. Are you super familiar with the space? Because I always hear these uh, these stories about how awesome 5G is and how it's going to disrupt everything. And I'm wondering how much of that is still fact. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a bit of a I keep saying 2025 and I've said 2025 for a couple of years now. So I'll still say 2025. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, to me, and I'm, I'm kind of quantifying it as the 4G LTE network, um, which I can pretty much get just about everywhere. I feel like that's 2025 for 5G. Um, mm-hmm. Do I think it's going to change my, my, um, personal life by 2025 in some amazing way uh you know probably not because i don't i don't really need to go stream video any faster on my device i think ultimately what it does do is is or what it has done or is doing is sort of three things one we had to go put a bunch of fiber in the ground to be able to support it and that's useful in in a bunch of different ways it's useful to provide more diversity um in a in a location um, it provides more redundancy in a location. So that's, that's all good. Mm-hmm. We're all counting on having that connection to go do whatever it is we need to go do. Um, I think second, it, um, it, it provides, you know, higher density of, of devices, which I think is, is sort of a second, um, you know, not so much the speed. It just, it provides easier, easier to connect more devices, which ultimately will bring the cost structure down for those devices. So I think that's, that's a positive. And I think third, Third is, is the ability to do, um, you know, more site to site type of connectivity, which I think ultimately will provide more redundancy back to the branch or back to the home or back to the office or back to wherever. And I think that's a positive because as we, as we start to get used to the online experience that we've all, you know, I was just thinking about this today, like if I'm going to go skiing again, how is my skiing experience going to ultimately change? I'm going to want to order my my lunch so that it's ready for me when I get down the hill while I'm coming down the hill, I'm yeah. not going to want to go wait in line, you know, at a ski resort to go get my food. Um, so, you know, I think, I think, you know, as we think about this and then think about the mission critical services that have to go work in this environment, I think it does provide some additional redundancy and resiliency to the network as a whole that allow us to then count on it more and then go develop, you know, sort of, sort of a cyclical thing. The more we can count on the network, the more we're going to develop more use cases to go consume the network. Um, and then I think ultimately capacity becomes an issue and, you know, more uploading video. And, you know, one of the things we're doing is, is working with some of the, um, you know, sports and entertainment um, people like um, major league baseball, as an example, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, thinking about that fan experience and how that changes um, both, you know, with the pandemic impact and then the technology, you know, changes is that, you think about the video feed at a ball game and there's, you know, a hundred cameras in that, um, in that ball field, but you're only utilizing one or two or whatever the director wants you to go focus on a, a particular point in time. Yeah. So if you can go create that sort of self-directed fan experience and get the play by play on, you know, from home plate, even though you're out on, you know, third, you know, in, 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 in the, in the outfield, um, and, and pay for that and then pay for all the data overlay on top of that and then pay for your fantasy league overlay on top of that. I mean, that, that sort of draws the fan into something that, you know, frankly, most of these organized sports platforms have been kind of losing a fan base over time. So they're all trying to figure out yeah. like, how do we go add more value? And I think that's, I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Cause they, so if you think about it, it's a self, it's a self curated experience. You're, you're pushing more power into the hands of the fans so they can, they can create their own experience. But on the other hand, sort of like uh, major league sports wants to curate the experience to a degree because they want that high quality experience. But at the same time, you know, what, what is the, what is the fan what's being left out? Right. Yeah. I mean, the analogy I've always used is like when I, as a kid, I'd go up to the Metrodome in the Twin Cities and I could never figure out like, why, why are people wearing radio headsets in the, and these remember the big ones with the antennas. 
why would they wear them in the in the ballpark? And it was because they wanted an alternate experience. They wanted yeah. their sportscaster on whatever that AM station was because he was much better at calling the ball than the guy in the stadium. And so I think that's yeah. I think that's what kind of makes it kind of cool to be able to to sort of change this and make it more dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that people want that sort of multi-sensory experience and the choice to be able to say, I want to listen to this. I want to watch that. I want to do whatever. And and this yep. sort of gives them the capability. But yeah, so you're, you don't think that 5G is then going to like ultimately, you know, enable edge computing to be the way because it's not really that, that powerful. I, I mean, mean, I've heard so many things about it being so amazing. And I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm very skeptical about it being. Yeah. I mean, 5G needs edge to be, you know, you can't run 5G without a network control point that's more distributed than the architecture today. Yeah. Um, you know, does 5G enable edge? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's the other way around. I think, um, I think it's a great yeah. enabler. I think it, it, you know, but a lot of IOT devices don't generate a ton of, you know, more than a kilobit you know, Ks of data at a time, right? So they don't need big pipes. Um, I think video is is sort of the killer app for 5G and what we can go do with that. Um, and I think ultimately it will need edge to, to be successful there. But I, you know, I don't, um, I, I just, I'm, I'm still reaching out there for what, you know, what is that, you know, it doesn't really change. I don't think it changes the world. I think we're already, we're already changing the world as we, as we go here, so. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So where do you see things? Where do you see things ten years out? Like, put your futurist hat on and look at twenty thirty or twenty thirty one because it's almost twenty thirty one. Where do you think we'll be in ten years? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I hope that we don't have to go through this experience again. Um, <laughs> you know, I think. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm hopeful that we've taken what we've learned here and and have built a, a scalable platform to be able to do the research and the mitigation and, and have better, you know, if we could do anything with IOT, it's, you know, let's create a sensor network that helps us understand this stuff faster. Um, and, uh, yeah. probably some better global cooperation on that is necessary to be able to do it. You know, I think the climate is another, you know, I think last uh, amount of data I saw was, was, um, global climate, um, uh, you know, CO2 is down about 8%, which, you know, if you think about it, you know, the fact that, that for a few months we weren't driving cars as, as much, um, you know, I'm probably talking about the U.S. here, but really it's a world, uh, world day. Um, and now we're kind of back to normal. I mean, that, so that was, that was 8%, right? And, but, you know, in reality, we have to go reduce that 200, 300%. So, I mean, I think, I think we've got to pivot, you know, what, what, we're, what we're doing to really go solve those types of things. And, there, and there's companies that are doing great stuff there, but I, I, I think the world has to, we've got to get an understanding of, of how to reduce, you know, emissions, reduce the waste and use this as a time to think about that and, and, you know, take our resources and work together to, to do that. And, you know, I think the data center industry itself is, is, you know, we do consume a lot of power, um, but we're, we're generally, you know, in industries like, like ours, we, we try to be as absolutely efficient as possible. You think about, um, you know, our designs in Portland, you know, as an example, and we're at a, uh, a power efficiency there that's really a leading edge for any multi-tenant data center. So, I mean, I think, I think um, you know, just making sure that we're all doing our part to make sure that we're using renewables, we're using, you know, things like wind and, and solar where it makes sense. We're using, you know, the, we, we customize every one of our data centers based on the environment that it's in. So, um, you know, in, in Vegas, we, you know, because it gets cold at night, we're able to do a lot of free cooling at night um, where we don't have to go run, you know, as much, um, uh, you know, cooling from the, the, uh, the HVAC platform. So I think just being able to, you know, think about that when we're, we're designing these, these platforms. Yeah. Well, I keep reading about uh, data centers in remote locations, like in like really cold places or underwater or whatever. But if you have to locate it over there, aren't, isn't there like debt in getting the data back and forth from those, from those places? So that's, that's, a, that's a big issue, right? Yeah. I mean, Iceland was, uh, you know, has the data center space in Iceland has been a topic for, for, I don't know, 20, probably 20 years now. Um, yeah. And you're right. I mean, the, the challenge, it has kind of limited network capacity. It's probably okay if you're on the East Coast. It's not okay if you're on the West Coast. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, latency does, you know, increasingly latency does matter when you're dealing with real-time apps that, 
you know, increasing our making life, you know, we'll make life and death, you know, uh, uh, situation. And we're also not, I think, you know, our software stacks haven't evolved very well either. We, we have, we've created very chatty applications that like to talk a lot to go do anything, right? So they're very chatty. They, they're oh, not yeah. exactly. And so, you know, you think about that, it's not just the one packet, it's, it's the thousand packets that actually go, yeah. you know, make something happen. So, yeah. 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 Well, sometimes I long for the good old days when we had a very small pipe because you had to make your, your software super efficient to use that small pipe. Now our pipes are so fat, but it's like our software grows to fill the pipe, <laughs> overflow the pipe. So we always have to put in bigger pipes instead of going back to yep. just write smaller code. <laughs> yeah, well, ultimately, you know, we're gonna run out of pipe because the speed of light is speed of light, so yeah. 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 Until we can. Oh, you haven't that, figured you know, out how to pass the speed of light yet. Where's your tachyon emitters? I mean, haven't you? No, figured- I, 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 see, I do see your 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 FTL devices in the background there, so they've got to figure it out, but we haven't quite figured it out. <laughs> soon, hopefully. Soon, hopefully. Cool. So, um, yeah, sure. uh, how do be how do people? This has been fantastic. Thanks so much. So, how do people get in touch with you? If they, they LinkedIn or is it go to your website or? Yeah, uh, flexential.com, which is, um, you know, F-L-E-X-E-N-T-I-A-L, we'll, uh, just to, to spell it out. But yeah, I can be found on LinkedIn. Uh, we're, we're about to, to launch our new podcast um, uh, format here soon. So we'd love to have you on the other side of this, Chris, on- Oh, fantastic. Um, That'd be great. Hybrid IT, and, and I'm, I'm kind of working on the connected world and talking about the connected universe, a lot of which we- we just talked about here. So we're launching that in about a week or so. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn is great. I'm pretty active on it. Um, you know, please, please find me there. All right. Well, send you, send me your bio and I'll, I'll put it on the, I'll put it in the show notes. So thank you very much, sir. It was great talking with you. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Have a great day. All right. Talk to you later. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.